Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a recommendation from our mysterious listener, Hank, an episode of suspense entitled, The Crisis of Dirk Diamond. Hank specifically tailored the suggestion to Tim's idiosyncratic taste, describing the production as a trippy later episode of suspense that might appeal to Tim's appreciation of the unconventional and resonate with his insider's take on the creative process. Suspense premiered on CBS in 1942 and remained on the air for the next 20 years. Known for its A-list stars, high production values, and sophisticated scripts, Suspense raised the bar for dramatic radio. By the early 1950s, though, Suspense began to struggle with a shrinking listenership thanks to competition from television and the departure of longtime sponsor Autolite. The tight budget meant producers often relied on recycled scripts. Some from the earlier days of Suspense... Others borrowed from programs like Escape and The Mysterious Traveler. The crisis of Dirk Diamond came to suspense by a more circuitous route. The script was adapted from an episode of the 1951 CBS television anthology series, The Web. The radio version is credited to Sam Locke, a journeyman writer who worked in radio, television, film, and theater. It is unclear if Locke was responsible for the original television script or merely retooled it for suspense. And now, let's listen to The Crisis of Dirk Diamond from Suspense, first aired October 18, 1959. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Another tale well calculated to keep you in... In each of us, there is a possible murderer, or a man who feeds on murder, revels in the sound of it, the thrill of it. This is the story of a man who murdered for the pleasure of others. The story of Dirk Diamond, written by Sam Locke. As far as I can see, we don't need the doctor anymore. Done a pretty good job for us so far. We're in confidence. We meet twice a month at night. That's Welby talking. Robert Welby of the syndicate. He okays the murders. So, gentlemen, I think we've got to get rid of the doctor. You're right, Bob. 100%. They're vice presidents. Nobody. We see eye to eye on that. I had a feeling we would. Me? I'm the guy who does the murdering. So it's settled. The doctor must go. Right. Get rid of him. No, no, no. I don't see why we should. He's outlived his usefulness, Mike. Let's give him a chance. We can't take chances, Mike. Not with Dirk Diamond. Not right now. What do you mean, not right now? He means that things are not so good with Dirk Diamond right now. So I'm afraid you'll have to kill the doctor. All right, when? Oh, I'd like to see it in the papers in uh, about six weeks. And no blood this time. Yeah, that's right. The last three have been too messy. No blood. Well, it's not going to be easy. 
The murders are coming too quick. No, Mike. They're not coming quick enough. Murder is what the public expects from Dirk Diamond. And if you don't give the public what it expects, they stop reading Dirk Diamond and go to other comic strips. They're doing that already. George, show Bob the cancellations came in this week. The Pittman chain. Ten newspapers all together. All right, so what? So what? A couple of lousy cancellations. You act like Dirk Diamond is finished. Ten years. It's been the top comic strip. All right, George. Now the meeting is over. You wait, Mike. Uh, okay. Can I drop you, George? No, I got some work to clean up, and then I'll go. All right, Mr. Welby. Get it over with. Dirk Diamond stinks, hmm? Go ahead. Mike, why do you think the strip is going downhill? If I knew that, we wouldn't be here. Oh, look, Diamond is as good as he ever was. Mike, people don't read a comic strip like yours for the hero. It's the villains. But I've given them plenty of villains. Needle nose and mosquito and armless Eve and midget mouth and a hundred others. Now, it, it doesn't matter how monstrous I make them. They just don't go. I, I don't understand. Well, it's simple, Mike. This is the age of the H-bomb, of rockets to outer space, of science fiction. What you sell is fear, Mike. Monstrosity isn't frightening anymore. All right, so what am I supposed to do? Find a fresh approach to fear. How? What are you afraid of? <laughs> What's that going to do? Answer my question. What are you afraid of? You? What? Well, you ask me, I'm telling you. I'm afraid of you. Everybody in the syndicate Let's is. not degenerate this into a discussion of personal relationships. Stick to the subject. What have you always been afraid of before you met me? No, of being poor, I guess. Oh, that's a worry, Mike. What frightens you? What really frightens you? Death. Every fright is a fear of death, but what reminds you most of death? What in your entire life have you been more afraid of than anything? Freddy. Freddy? Freddy who? I don't know. I made him up. For the strip? The strip? No. Now, this was a long time ago when I was just four years old. You see, one time I was afraid to sleep alone. But I needed an excuse to call my mother, so I thought if I can just make up something that will frighten me enough to scream... Then my mother will have to stay with me. See? And uh, that's how you made up Freddy. It didn't seem like I was making him up. You know, he just... He stepped right into my mind and started walking toward me full of murder. And I screamed, all right, my mother came. After that, whenever I wanted her, I would just think of Freddy and scream. But then one night, I started to think of Freddy when I didn't want to. In the dark, I suddenly seemed to seem giggling. You know, coming closer, his hands out to kill me. And I'd try to keep from screaming, but I, I'd scream. Now, what did he look like? Well, he had a very soft face, and he laughed in a kind of a high giggle. And he was uh, very blonde, almost an albino, and he was so heavy. He, he walked like a fat woman on high heels, and his arms were short, and his hands, they were always sweaty. That's it. I even like the name Freddy. That is the next villain. Mike... Now, wait a, wait a minute. No, no, no. I'm not going to do that. Look, please. I don't want to get started with Freddy. Uh, <laughs> I, su I suppose you think I'm crazy. No, no, I... no. I understand. You're still susceptible to your childhood fear. Yes, that's it. You're afraid of Freddy. Good. But you also told me that you were afraid of me. And that's much more reasonable, old man. Because Freddy only exists in your imagination. But me... I'm right here. And in our ten years together, you've seen what's happened when I'm crossed, haven't you? Yes, I have seen. Now, who are you more afraid of, Michael, old man? 
Freddy or me, hmm? I'll, uh... I'll have the first batch in two weeks. Good boy. Frankly, Mike, Freddy is the only thing that can save Dirk Diamond for you. <laughs> What's funny? You didn't ask me... You didn't ask me how I saved myself from Freddy. Go on. Well, every time I think of Freddy coming to kill me, I just make up another man who would fight Freddy off for me. And then I was safe. You know what his name was? Dirk Diamond. <laughs> I made up Dirk Diamond to save me from Freddy. And now Freddy is going to save Dirk Diamond and me. <laughs> Just a moment. We will return for the second act of Suspense. And now here's a message from the watchmakers of Switzerland. Swiss vacation. Swiss vacation. Win a fabulous vacation for two in beautiful Switzerland. Enter the Swiss vacation contest. It's easy. Nothing to buy. Pick up a free entry blank at a jewelry store or other store that sells quality watches. Then in 25 words or less, complete this statement. A quality watch is the best value because there are 1,000 prizes. First prize, a 21-day vacation for two in Switzerland. You fly deluxe Swiss Air both ways. Visit many colorful places. All expenses paid for two people, plus $500 extra spending money. Second, third, and fourth prizes. 15-day Swiss vacations for two. Also, four mink stoles, eight Bolex movie cameras and projectors, 12 Hermes typewriters, 160 $100 watches, 812 gala assortments of Tobler Swiss chocolates. Enter the Swiss vacation contest today. Free entry blanks at your jewelry store. McCoy chain. Fourteen newspapers. Yeah, I that see, makes yeah. thirty papers this month alone. We've got a lot to thank Freddy for. Yeah, a lot. The last two months of this trip have been wonderful. <laughs> What's gotten into you? Freddy. What? Oh, nothing, Mr. Welby. Goodbye. It's not nothing. Everything goes so easily. The panels, the storyline, even the dialogue. And I don't quite understand. Not for a long time. Then one day, my assistant comes into my office with a strip of my drawings. Mike, uh, something's wrong. What? What's wrong? Well, in this panel, you told me you were going to draw Freddy looking frightened. Yes, that's right. Well, you have him smiling. What? Let me see that. Oh, yeah. You want to change it before I ink it in? No, no. Just let me have your eraser. There. Mike, he's still smiling. Yeah. Let me have your eraser again. There. Funny, it, it still looks kind of like a smile. Yeah. Yeah, he's still smiling, isn't he? Well, do you want him looking frightened? Or, or it doesn't do you... matter what I want. You see, it's what he wants. I have to do what he wants. Mike, are you all right? Oh, sure. <laughs> you ain't get in. That's all. Go on, ain't get in. Okay. Hello. Get me Mr. Welby. Well, find him. It's a matter of life and death, understand? It's life or death. Mike, 
30 days, you'll be dead. It'll have to be big, otherwise Mr. Welby wouldn't go for it. No two for a nickel ideas for him. I walked through the entire apartment, back and forth, past all the gifts and the meadows and trophies I've been given by Dirk Diamond fan club from New Jersey to Hong Kong. Clocks and statuettes and loving cups and ashtrays and the music box in my bedroom with a stiletto encased in it. When the stiletto was taken out of its scabbard, the music box plays. And when it's put back, it stops. Ingenious construction. And that's what I need now. I need ingenious construction. Because I've got to kill him. Oh, I've got to kill him. Operator, what, uh, what time is it? Uh, 5.45 a.m. Do you wish to place a call? Yeah, Western Union. Thank you. Western Union? Western Union, this is Mike Snyder, Barton Hotel. I would like you to pick up a package at the desk and deliver it to the Welby Syndicate. Yes, Mr. Snyder. And you tell the messenger to be very careful with the package. Yes, Mr. Snyder. Because there's a body in it. Yes, Mr. What? <laughs> it's a joke, it's all. Just a joke. Oh, I can sleep now. Oh, man, I feel like I've had chains struck from my arms and legs. I feel, I feel so light. I feel good. I'm happy. Tired? Oh, boy. What's that? I put that stiletto back. It shouldn't be... It shouldn't be playing like that unless... Unless... Hello, Michael. Hello. Surprise? <laughs> it's a nightmare. It's, all, it's, it's a nightmare. A nightmare. This is a fine stiletto, Michael. This is the one you used to oh. kill Mrs. Blue no. Teeth, isn't oh. it? No, this is a dream. Yes, Mrs. Dream. Blue Teeth. It's carved on the blade. A copy of the stiletto used by Dirk Diamond in killing Mrs. Blue Teeth. Presented admiringly by the Dirk Diamond Club of Toronto. I like this stiletto, Michael. I admire it. <laughs> okay, it's a nightmare. So you're giving me 30 more days to live? Don't come any closer. I'm giving you only one day. You put that stiletto down. And then there isn't going to be any more Michael Snyder. It's a nightmare. This is all happening in my brain. Exactly. Even this stiletto in your brain. <laughs> now I'm putting it back there. Point first. <laughs> It's still there quivering. It's quivering in the headboard of the bed. Okay, uh, look, Mr. Snyder, I uh, took enough with them fingerprints in the laboratory, but the fingerprints aren't on file here, so the uh, lab's wiring Washington special for you, Mr. Snyder. FBI, you know. 
<laughs> That's an accident. Uh, when, when will they get word back? Oh, any minute. Uh, say, you know, Mr. Snyder, it's funny I should run into you here at the police on that county. You know, I got four boys at home who keep talking about nothing, but how is Burke Diamond going to get out of this trap Freddy's got him in? Uh, can you tell me now how, how you're going to get him on this trap? I don't know. I don't know. Mulligan? Huh? Hmm? Uh, Mr. Snyder, it's yes. the lab. They uh, got word back. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah? The fingerprints of Michael Snyder. I'm not into anybody, Miss Bennett. Mike Snyder. Well, put him on. Mike, where have you been all morning? We've been calling. What? Your train leaves in two minutes. Well, where are you going? What do you mean? Anywhere. No, I'm not out of my mind. I've got to get away before it's too late. No, I can't explain no time. Now, look, I sent you 30 days of Dirk Diamond this morning, and you're not using them. If that's the best you can do, Freddy stays alive. You understand, Mike? I never questioned your judgment before, but this time I'm telling you. Now, you put those strips through, because Freddy's got to die. It's him or me. It's him or me! In a moment... We will return for the third act of Suspense. Here's Hollywood star Mona Freeman. Who feels like acting with a miserable cold? I relieve cold distress the fast way with four-way cold tablets. Yes, tests of all the leading cold tablets proved four-way fastest acting. Amazing four-way starts in minutes to relieve muscular pains and headache... Reduce fever, calm, upset stomach, also overcomes irregularity. When a cold strikes, do what I do. Take four-way cold tablets. It's the fast way to relieve nasty cold distress and feel better quickly. Four-way, only 29 cents. Our program will continue in a moment after word about another fine product of Grove Laboratories. Had dandruff for years? Now get rid of it in three minutes with Fitch Dandruff Remover Shampoo. Three minutes with Fitch regularly is guaranteed to keep unsightly dandruff away forever. Apply Fitch before wetting hair, rub in one minute. Add water, lather one minute. Then rinse one minute. Every trace of dandruff goes down the drain. Three minutes with Fitch. Embarrassing dandruff gone. Fitch can also leave hair up to 35% brighter. Get Fitch Dandruff Remover Shampoo today. It feels good. Good to hear those wheels. My troubles are being left far behind. And it feels so good to be surrounded by lots of people. A uh, man on my right is reading a newspaper. And I can see Dirk Diamond. I turn away to the window. That's the first time I've ever turned away from Dirk Diamond. And suddenly I know I've turned away from him forever. <laughs> what did, uh, what did Welby once said? You put a lot of yourself into your comic strips, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, I put everything. You know, there's more of me in Dirk Diamond than there is in real life. I have been hiding in a comic strip since I was four years old. Hiding from Freddy. But I'm leaving all that behind. Tickets, please. Tickets. I am escaping. I'm free. Tickets, please. I gave you mine before. No, Michael. Oh, sure. <laughs> Michael? Yes, so you don't have your tickets? Oh, wait. 
We won't need a ticket, not where you're going. Let go of my... You won't need anything where you're going. Out of it. Uh, well, easy, mister. You were huh? choking yourself. Your own hands around your neck. It was awful. You have fits. Listen, listen, stop it, Frank. Huh? I gotta get back. Oh, don't try. No, I gotta go back. I got to. All right, all right. Now, the next stop is Buffalo. You can get off and take a train back. Oh, you shouldn't be moving around. Joe, help him with his shoes. Sure. No, 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 no. I got to do this myself. All of it. Myself. I know I promised you a weekend, but this is an emergency. Now, stop whining, will you? Well, we... Huh? Mike! Well, forget it, Frank. I don't need you. Oh, so you came back. I can't say I'm surprised. Not really. Listen. Freddy. Freddy has got to die. Do you, do you understand? Look, it's 3 a.m. The entire staff just left. All of us trying to keep Dirk Diamond going because you go off half You've got to die! You're calling me up from Grand Central that you've got to get away. Well, it's not that easy, Mike. Not from me, Mr. Welby! I know. Freddy's got to die. I heard you. Kill him, then. But not with this third-rate stuff you tried to palm off on me this morning. You know where that goes. Oh, no. Look, Freddy's the best villain you ever had. You want to get rid of him? It's got to be the best killing you ever had. Otherwise, he stays alive. No. All right. Start trying, then. Start from, uh, here, uh, this panel. Dirk has locked himself in his room, and here he's saying... Yeah. I'm going to kill Freddy. I am going to kill him. That's right. Now, go ahead from there. All right. Ah, it's nighttime. Dirk lies on a couch, uh, still thinking of his problem. Suddenly in the night, Freddy appears. From where? I don't know, but, but he's there with a stiletto. Now, he comes over to the couch, and he plunges the knife into Dirk's head. Mm -hmm. But Dirk awakens, and the stiletto stabs into the couch. But you said first it went into his head. Now, how did he miss? I don't know, but he's missed. There's Freddy, and Dirk... Grabs him by the neck. No, 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 no. It's too thin, Mike. Now, look, you might as well face it. You can't kill Freddy off. You're stuck with him for life, I'm afraid. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. Now, listen, listen. See, Dirk Diamond has never been more frightened in all his life. You see, he knows it's got to be either Freddy or him. There's no other way. Right. Now, Mike, I want you to go no, home no, no, and... No, 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 no. Dirk remembers something, then. He, he first saw Freddy in a dream... So suddenly he realizes something. Oh, no, Mike. You see, nobody else knows Freddy. The only time Dirk's ever seen him, they've been alone together. Just him and Freddy. And then it comes to him. Freddy only exists in his mind, see? His most dangerous enemy is the nightmare of his brain. Go on. Now he knows the one way to get Freddy. Yeah? Dirk... Dirk Diamond will kill himself. Go on. He knows Freddy only exists as long as he does. And the only way to bring Freddy into reach is by taking his own, his own throat in his hands and choking it. Choking himself. All right, Mike, stop it. Mike, you're crazy. You're... Mike, Mike. You see? You see, it worked. It brought Freddy into reach. And now he has him by the throat. Using himself as a decoy, he's caught his nightmare. All his nightmares, all the monsters that imprisoned him by the throat. And how it thrills him 
to feel Freddy's neck between his hands at last. A mouse playing the cat, Mr. Welby. I'll do a panel of Dirk's face smiling. Oh, wait, now Freddy reaches out for the alarm bell under the desk. And I'll do a strip of this thrashing, desperate hand, knocking over the telephone and groping until it reaches the bell under the desk. And with its last dying strength, pushing. And then, then I'll cut to the bell, ringing in the office of the floor watchman and in the lobby and in the local precinct. See? And then, and then the floor watchman, he knocks on the door and he calls out, Mr. Welby, Mr. Welby! But there's no answer. Because the monsters are all dead. And Dirk Diamond, he's escaped at last. Mr. Welby. Oh, no. Who, who are you? Don't you know? <laughs> Suspense. You've been listening to The Crisis of Dirk Diamond, written for Suspense by Sam Locke. In a moment, the names of our players and a word about next week's story of Suspense. When you listen for news, don't you want it presented in lively fashion by a man you know you can trust? Of course you do. That's why millions listen regularly to Lowell Thomas whose news broadcasts are on CBS Radio five evenings a week, Monday through Friday. When you want all angles of the news, get them from Lowell Thomas. And when you want all angles on sports, tune in Sports Time, presented every evening except Sunday on CBS Radio. Frank Gifford brings you the high spots and the lowdown on the sports world straight from the horse's mouth. Be in the know on latest news with Lowell Thomas and on sports with Sports Time. Two great services only a network can bring you, and only CBS Radio does. Heard in tonight's story were Bernard Grant as Mike, Louis Van Ruten as Welby, and Eric Dressler as Freddy. Also included in the cast were Ian Martin, Larry Haynes, and Maurice Tartlett. Listen again next week when we return with another tale well calculated to keep you in... That was The Crisis of Dirk Diamond from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was brought to us from uh, our listener, uh, Hank, who brought that for Tim. It was a present to Tim, thinking Tim would like it. Uh, So I think we should probably start right there. First of all, say thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. (laughs) No, thank you, Hank. That's very thoughtful. And his flowery description of what you like, did he, first of all, hit the nail on the head with Tim's idiosyncratic tastes? Uh, No argument there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) My only sort of critique complaint was, I kind of wish this wasn't a suspense episode. I wish this was Mysterious Traveler or Inner Sanctum. It's strange to have this weird, twisty, bizarre story told through the somewhat serious lens of suspense versus the wild, wicked fun of some of these other series. Right. That being said, uh, it's, it's exactly the sort of show that I enjoy because beat by beat, I'm just going, oh, this is ridiculous. No, this is awesome. Oh, no, this is ridiculous. Yeah, that's a really interesting take. If you tell me this is 
Inner Sanctum or Mysterious Traveler or whatever, I probably have a different viewpoint of this. Yeah. That's really fascinating because all I could think was, wow, suspense, just getting a rotator cuff injury, reaching for material, man. Like it is. <laughs> Hank sent this to the wrong person. I absolutely love this. <laughs> Defend it heartily then. Uh, Go. Oh, right now? Yeah. Oh, yes. Now. You want me to record my thoughts for a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you could write them down. I guess I did not get hung up on uh, the suspense style and rate sure. it in that way. I totally see what you're saying. Uh, partly because I was aware of this was pretty typical of this era is to do mysterious traveler type stories or to literally just do mysterious traveler <laughs> stories <laughs> right. for a second or third time. Um, I felt that it was told in these very broad comic booky style that fit the subject matter uh, from a comic strip artist. And it had me hooked within the first couple minutes and that first twist of, these aren't mobsters, they're agents. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is going to be an interesting episode that is going to play with expectations and on the surface seem like not much is going on other than a pastiche of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde um, and the comic book industry. But I think underneath there's a lot going on. I guess I listen to it as a commentary, which I think is always relevant, the conflict between commercial and creative interests. And, and it might just be that that has always fascinated me. And I thought it was really well done. Again, I don't want to go on a monologue, but yeah, it I hooked me all the way through. I think it's interesting that theater of the mind creates a vision in your head for what you're seeing. This is the first time I ever listened to anything that I didn't see it. What I saw was the comic book drawing of this story as if I was reading an EC comic. Mm. I kept seeing the panels of this, which was fascinating because usually I see the people in the room and what they look, you know, the whole thing comes to life for me. I just kept seeing this panel by panel, drawing by drawing is what kept popping in my head. Oh, I see the drawing of this. And I thought that was fascinating to me. And it could have been because of the suggestion that the guy draws mm -hmm. comics, but nonetheless, the story has a very easy comic kind of feel to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And combined with Dick Tracy comic strips, too, with right. yeah, things like sort of needle nose and... Yeah, well, the, that too, yeah. Armless Eve or <laughs> right. blue teeth. I got I to gotta stop before, before I forget of describing him as like his big, like a, like a fat woman. Or a fat man. <laughs> right. Well, he specifically described how he walked. So oh, it right. was like about like being on a, heels. A, uh, a, like a fat man. A fat woman <laughs> in heels. And if that were the end of that description, I would be like, well, that was just mean. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's part of a multifaceted description. And I think the goal is to put all these weird attributes together that don't immediately belong together because he also has short arms and sweaty hands and a high-pitched giggle yeah and so yep. it's supposed to be off-putting in its combination of traits not in its singularity of leave. also because he was named freddy in listening to it it has this sort of dialogue with nightmare on elm street yeah mm -hmm. it absolutely um, does which isn't conscious on either side so it's you know hard to really take meaning out of it but it's Interesting to draw those parallels of. I, I had a thought about that when that entered my head of, you know, inspiration comes from everywhere, right? And who knows? 
the possibility that Nightmare on Elm Street may have been someone who actually heard this when they were younger, because it does have that, that yeah, am I in a dream or not? Wes Craven has talked at length about like the source material he drew from that. As far as I know, he never mentioned this, but that doesn't mean it's something sure. he never heard. It didn't seep through his subconscious. But the similarities are, are very interesting. Yeah. It made me wonder what kind of character Dirk Diamond is that he That's, murders all his enemies. Like, is he a spy? Is that was one thing that jumped cop? out at me is that, you know, Dirk Diamond is the, he's the character I invented to protect me. And he's practically invisible in the whole mm-hmm. script. The, he's right. only there to threaten Freddy. The, the Orson Welles shadow has killed everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you're talking about just that Dirk Diamond is a non-entity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's brought out in the script because the editor says like people don't read comic strips for the heroes. They're here for the villains. Yes. Which I thought was really true. And in, but in, in the psychology, Dirk Diamond just exists so that it is an idea that protects me from Freddy. And ironically, it's the character that protects him from villains, but forces him to do nothing but generate villains (laughs) to perpetuate him. Yeah. Finally forcing him to bring Freddy into the real world. So I thought some of the psychology for how um, comic booky it was was fascinating, and in, in execution, in hearing the idea of like there is this villain that I have in my mind that we want you to put in this comic strip, and I'm hesitant to do so because of what it means to me psychologically. Uh, you know, hearing that laid out, I'm like, oh, okay. And then in practice, beat by beat, like, oh, this is excellent. Yeah, uh, and I think it's interesting too that the editor is portrayed really as a good writing partner or a good editor. Like mm-hmm. he, he keeps pushing him to get to a better story. Yes. Like, uh, like I'll what, go with whatever story you want yeah. to tell, just better than this. Yeah. What are you afraid of? Death. Psh, that's <laughs> cliche. Far, who are you afraid of? You. Uh, you should be, but that doesn't make a good story. <laughs> and he, it just pushes him until he gets to this really personal, dark it was therapy. thing from his past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, again, because of the style and tone that – wasn't very suspensey. It surprised me as it kept finding new depths. Um, the my favorite part was, uh, did you mean to draw a smile on this on Freddie's mm-hmm. face and like oh yeah, erase it and draws it and erases it and draws it. And- Which reminded me of that Daffy Duck cartoon where he keeps getting erased and, <laughs> <laughs> and demanding that the cartoonist draw him better. Uh, I also thought it was interesting from the 50s to acknowledge fan clubs, uh, since yeah. we're so awash in fandom in our 21st century, and that um, the fan merchandise was A, weird, and B, it was stuff fans made to send to creators instead of creators made for fans to buy, seems to be the implication, because he goes <laughs> to this list of uh, gifts from the various yeah. fan clubs of clocks, statuettes, loving cups, <laughs> ashtrays. I was someone... I got to stop every time this comes up because we do old time radio stuff and we watch a lot of old, the word love, it's in wonderful life. The winner of the dance contest will win this loving cup. What in that blazes is a loving cup. I, it comes up it's so a cup often. that adores you and will stay with you. <laughs> supports you. It's very nurturing. I don't know the origin of the term, but it's that, classic trophy with the handles on sure. either side and but it looks why, like a gold vase yeah but why loving because um, like love a in good there. loving partner it has two handles on the side <laughs> i love you so much <laughs> you I also have two handles i do have two handles 
just on the one side, so it's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> no bilateral symmetry with Tim. <laughs> oh, yay. Oh, yay. That's the line from Wonderful Life. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. The winner in Loving Cup. I'm doing Wonderful Life. Sorry. All right. I also like the music box because it made me realize that um, every time there's a music box in old time radio, you know for sure. Well, this is going to be played again or have some ominous meaning. So it's like Chekhov's music box. You can never in radio if that comes up. It's always going to be important. When it first came up, they said, and there's a stiletto on the side, I assumed it was some term, like not an actual stiletto, but just like the pin that you put in a music box to stop it from playing. I don't know that music boxes have that, but no, no, there's a knife in this music yeah, box. Because they say it was modeled after the stiletto Dirk used to kill Mrs. Blue Teeth. <laughs> right. Which, again, he's just like a killer. I was trying to remember, and did that, Dirk, Tra- Dirk Tracy, uh, Freudian slip, uh, <laughs> Dick Tracy, did he kill all his villains? I don't or think they, so. Yeah. No. I mean, because I they I, kept coming back. But that's also what the, the, the EC Comics reference it totally jumps out of, like, I'm going to stick this knife in your head. Right. That's very yeah. easy comics-y. Especially that one story. The knife in the head? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I did start to wonder if the stiletto in the brain was a and combined with the hallucinations he was suffering was a reference to like the dagger of the mind. Shakespeare stuff, but that might have been me going way into the <laughs> weeds. Any chance there's a reference, and maybe not a jab, but just a reference to Richard Diamond with the Dirk Diamond? It's close dick to Richard Dirk. You know what I'm saying? Especially if he sang a song right before right. he killed all his enemies. <laughs> I'm just wondering if they were, it was a, a wink of some sort there. Let's say there was and move yes, on. Absolutely. Right. Wink. And, <laughs> and I just enjoyed the irony of. The artist saying, there's more of me in Dick Diamond than in the world. Is that the quote? Dirk Diamond. Dirk Diamond. Sorry. See? But I call him Dick Diamond? Yep. Yeah. That's a whole other... <laughs> Private Dirk. Dick Diamond is a whole other series you don't want to watch. Don't Google Dick Diamond. <laughs> That's a lot of carrots. <laughs> uh but that idea of I've been hiding in a comic book since I was four years old. That's the line that I thought would appeal to Tim. Because yeah, he'd be like, yay, me too. <laughs> um, he says so much of him is in Dirk Diamond, but he actually becomes Freddy Yeah, in the end. Is that the truth of him? That he's always been Freddy? Is he, he became the thing he was actually afraid of? Um, I enjoyed that whole final confrontation for so many reasons because... Well, one, uh, the writer got did a really tricky thing where he just took his entire plot of his own script and pitched it within the script <laughs> right. he was actually writing. <laughs> I, I'm finally putting together the the uh, the moment where he's trying to get you're gonna uh, we're gonna work through it together. You're gonna come up with this script uh, that reminded me of Dead Poet Society when he's like, no, 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 I'm just gonna cover your eyes and you're gonna make a poem up right here on the spot. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 just talk. Okay, where did it come from? What's happening? <laughs> like, this is a epic screenplay that is being plotted out here. It's like a three-panel comic strip. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the first panel? Wakes up. What's in the second panel? He's scared. What's in the third panel? Cliffhanger. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> you just described 80 years of Mark Trail. <laughs> <laughs> 
But if you read this as this tension between, again, commercial interests and creative interests, to me, it was fascinating to try to figure out what everybody represented in the end, in that final murder scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, the obvious thing I think would be to see the editor as the commercial interest, the the agent, and Dick Diamond as the creative person. But what is Freddy then? I mean, to try to chew on that that version of it is if Freddy is the commercial desire of like, Freddy is what the audience wants. We want red meat. And that is that if you want to have something more artistically significant than just like, watch this guy kill people, um, Mm -hmm. you eventually just devolve into like, watch this guy kill people. And Freddy is the one who kills that commercial demand. He kills the goose that lays the golden egg, but it's also the goose that craps all over your work. (laughs) (laughs) Six geese (laughs) a-laying. But if you also think of some of the productive things that the agent did during the story, like in Dead Poets Society, <laughs> and push Mike to be more creative, to unleash Freddy. Well, and to know, like, this is what audiences want. This is what will keep you in business. This is what will keep the money yeah. flowing. So in that way, you could read it as, like, unrestrained, uncontrolled creative energy kills all potential for commercial viability. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's just a fact. Yeah. <laughs> or does it all go back to some Freudian thing with Mike's childhood and just wanting to be comforted by his mom? <laughs> right, he just stared into the abyss and the abyss killed his boss. Yeah. This is a subconscious drive to kill all other men so you can be alone with your mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. <laughs> oh, we wrap that up. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I just thought it had a lot in it for yeah. on the surface. Boy. How silly it was. Um, I'm always amazed. Enjoyably silly. I, I just went, yeah, a guy drew a character, came to life, see? And like, I'm so basic. And you just like found all of these crazy. I think it's crazy... just a area of interest, that eternal conflict between those. I don't have any area of interest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you were to analyze this in terms of a football game, like. Yeah, we'd be lost. Yes. No, it's not that I'm. I'm just sincerely impressed by how you can find what the intent of the writers might have been. And I don't like I've said before in this podcast. I don't write anything that has layers. When I write stuff like, yeah, the guy went to the store. See, it's not like a metaphor for anything. And when you start to talk like this, you go, oh, that's super interesting. I wonder if that was the intent. This is more interesting than I thought it was. That's all. It's just a compliment, so take it and shut up. <laughs> Fine, I will take it. <laughs> what th- I think if this were written today, I think Freddie would definitely represent the fandom that destroys both the commercial yes. interests and the creative interests of any project. Yes, that, that is probably the most accurate of, like, do I want to write the story? I want to write. Do I want the story? You want to write? No, I just want to destroy everything. (laughs) Right. Burn it all to the ground. I want to make it no fun for anyone so that I can be the one who took control of it. I don't even know what I'm saying. Yeah, this fandom. Kids today. I love this so much. I hate it. (laughs) What other thoughts do you have, Joshua? Uh, How many more layers do we have to go here? (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to go any deeper. Is there more, though? Is there more deeper? This is Russia versus America in 1962. That was, I mean, to to go back, sum up my sort of main feeling of it, of, like, if you just 
did the three-sentence description of what is this story and listed it off to me. I go, well, that sounds stupid. Yes, <laughs> I would agree with you. Yeah, uh, and so an execution I, that was I'm I'm very impressed. Of like, this is not stupid. <laughs> That's a new wow. category. Wow, <laughs> sorry. Classic stands test time. Not stupid, <laughs> but it's fun. That's yeah. the, the well. You yeah, wanna... it remains fun and bouncy and kind of jaunty in pace at the same time, and does provide a couple good scares. I think the the weird giggling Freddy is. Yeah. Uh, unsettling. Um, there's a great moment where the production allows you as the listener to recognize that the person on the train, the conductor or the person taking tickets is Freddie before Mike yeah. does. Right. Uh, just a lot of little nice touches. It just shows that there was still a little life left in suspense here at the bitter end. By life, you mean effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Want to vote? Um, to your Present, you vote. Wow. Well, thank, thank you so much. Um, you have a your finger on my pulse. Um, <laughs> so gross. gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's super fun. I very much enjoyed it. it I don't know, classic might be a strong word, but uh, does stand the test of time. Clearly, that we've got a lot to say about it. It can still deliver a scare, despite its summation being stupid. <laughs> Here's my assessment of this before our conversation. I liked it, right? Coming into this, yeah, I liked it. Stand the test time? Yeah, I think it does. Uh, and that's about as far as I'll go with it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty well acted and uh, tropey and nothing about it was particularly, wow, cool or groundbreaking or anything. But I liked it. I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it. After this conversation, I think it's a better than... That I think that I like it even better now, but uh, I will stick with I like it. It's pretty good. <laughs> Stands test of time. That's one of the things with its its little dialogue in my head between it and uh, Freddy Krueger is particularly in the Wes Craven's new nightmare. Sorry, I'm I'm digging in the Wes Craven weeds here, but um, this idea of this is a creature that thrives on fear. The more you think about it, the more you fear mm -hmm. it, the stronger it gets. You just had this image of Wes Craven going out his front door and telling you to get the hell out of his weeds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a person under his stairs. Ah, Wes Craven jokes. Ah. Uh, well, yeah, I like I said, I think this uncomfortable idea that art is something that must react to supply and demand as a commodity is something we still struggle with today and how this story captures that struggle really fascinated me and it was made more poignant to me that it was a radio production done during the dying days of a medium that itself was struggling <laughs> with yeah. uh, creativity versus commercial needs. Trying to find a way to kill in a spectacular, big, <laughs> impressive way. <laughs> yeah, he killed a guy, but it was kind of meh. <laughs> What's the name of the last episode of Suspense? Yeah, it is the Devil's Devil Stone. Yeah, yeah. Devil's yeah. Something, yeah. yeah it, the Devil's Meh. Yeah, the Devil's <laughs> Meh. It did not take its own advice. That was not a spectacular, well-structured death scene for Suspense. But yeah, I, I personally, for me, I think this is a late-era classic of Suspense. Uh, it's one of my favorites from these last few years. Mm. It's 1959, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. 
Yeah, it's really close. There's coming a, down to the wire. There's a lot of life left in this old thing at this point. So yeah, I loved it. Okay, fine, good. Stop complimenting me. <laughs> Tim, tell them stuff. Hey, uh, please visit ghoulishdelights.com if you if you uh, have the hankering to do so. You'll uh, find more episodes of the podcast there, although you can listen to those anywhere you listen to podcasts. But at ghoulishdelights.com, you can leave comments on them and vote in polls. Let us know what you think. Uh, let the world know what you think about these episodes. The world needs to know. The world is able to know. Um <laughs> Uh, you can also link to our social media pages. You can uh, get some swag in our Threadless store. You can also click and join our Patreon page to support us through Patreon. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals because, guys, I think this was our last listener request that we're taking from the general public. Uh Speaking of creative commercial interests, <laughs> uh, Patreon supports this podcast, and we have decided one of the perks we are going to give the high-tier members of Patreon is that they will be the exclusive givers of recommendations. So uh, if you would like to hear your recommendation on this podcast... Pay us! <laughs> I was going to state it more uh, eloquently than that. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash the morals. And offer us remittance in exchange for this service. We're whores. <laughs> Unrelated, but true. I just realized that I don't know what Wes Craven looks like. And every time I hear the name Wes Craven, I picture he looks like Freddy from that's what I think Wes Craven actually looks like. Freddy. Like I know that's not true, but that's not true. What but what if? What does he look like? I mean, uh, he, he passed away, but uh, so not great now. But uh, maybe maybe like Freddy now. Um, but when he was alive, he's just kind of a guy. skinny guy with a beard. Okay. Imagine me with, with now, more if hair. If you were a Patreon member, you would have received this podcast with this conversation edited out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another <laughs> perk. <laughs> if you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society is also a theater company that uh, produces and performs classic old-time radio theater and a lot of its own original radio drama uh, audio drama live on stage so if you'd like to see us perform we've been performing for close to seven years every month somewhere all you got to do is go to ghoulishdelights.com and you'll see where we're performing and what we're performing this month and then you can come see us uh there's a link to tickets and everything if you can't uh for whatever reason come see us live um by being a patreon we film them and you get that as part of your patreon perk you get to watch those shows as we post them online what are we doing next? Next is your recommendation, Eric. Oh, uh, we're going to do that uh, Candy Madsen, see? Is that right? <laughs> That's right. Oh, we're actually going to... Yeah. Nice. I'm good. We're doing Jack Frost for the holidays from Candy Matson. Until then... Kellogg's Pep! Kellogg's Pep, the build-up wheat cereal with the prize in every package invites you to share another thrilling adventure with Mark Trail. What's in the first panel? Wakes up. What's in the second panel? He's scared. What's in the third panel? Cliffhanger. We're done! Tune in same time, same station on Monday and find out what happens to Mark Trail!